When there's a fire or medical emergency, most run the other way. For hundreds of volunteers in our community, it's the exact opposite. This year, Portage Health Foundation is celebrating those volunteers with $50,000 in funding. All volunteer emergency services units in Barragahoton, Keweenaw, or Onsonagan County are eligible for this funding with up to $5,000 available per grantee. This grant can be used to fund new turnout gear, make upgrades to vehicles or buildings, and much more. We can't wait to see how this funding will be used to make our community a safer place. Learn more at phfgive.org. Welcome to Capper Country Today, presented by the Portage Health Foundation. Learn more about them at phfgive.org. I'm Grant Ducetto. I have Dylan Geschel, the director of the Portage Lake District Library, joining me today. And Dylan, we're going back to Rabbit Island, aren't we? We are, yeah. Excited to talk about that, Grant. So give me a little bit of a history of the uh, library's kind of involvement with this program and how did it start and, you know, how has it changed over the years? Sure. So Rabbit Island School is actually a program that has, um, there's been past iterations of it for several years that did not involve the library. Um, The Rabbit Island Foundation, which is a nonprofit that's tasked with preserving Rabbit Island, is a small 91-acre island uh, off the shore of the Kuna Peninsula. Um, that foundation has had past iterations of Rabbit Island School that involved um, students from the Grand Rapids area that would come up here to spend a week on the island. So that program um, kind of fell apart a few years ago, and in its absence, the library started talking to the Rabbit Island Foundation director about how we could make a program like Rabbit Island School available to our local students here in the Keweenaw. In Rabbit Island, it's essentially if you were to go from, I don't know, maybe Dollar Bay, maybe closer to Hubble, and you were to go all the way to the edge of the Keweenaw Peninsula and go about three miles into Lake Superior, correct? That's pretty close, right. So you'll actually drive through Dollar Bay and Hubble and and through Lake Linden, and you'll head towards uh, the Jacobsville or Rabbit Bay area. And the island itself is just under four miles off the coast of Rabbit Bay. So what are some of the activities that you're planning for this year? Sure. So one aspect of the program that's really special um, when you compare it to, say, like a summer camp for kids is that the program is really... Uh, we call it, we call it a student led a student led expedition. So the students themselves are really involved in in almost every aspect of the program, including you know planning what 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 they might get up to for the day. So the students are are planning and cooking meals. They're leading you know campfire discussions uh, every night. They're learning how to light the sauna. Um, but they're also sort of taking on the responsibility of developing their own art and craft projects while they're on the island. And we do have a team of artist mentors. So these are artists that come from different backgrounds with different disciplines that are there just to share the knowledge they have um, in different skill sets um, that help the students develop whatever projects they're working on. And as far as the artists, you said that they kind of come from all over the place. It seems like there's a lot of different kind of art installations in this area. What separates Rabbit Island from maybe some of the other ones that people may be a bit more familiar with. Sure. Yeah. And I should say first, this is, you know, someone who'd be better than me at answering this question would be our our collaborator, the Rabbit Rabbit Island Foundation director, um, who's more involved with the island year round. But I think what's really unique about the Rabbit Island Foundation is that, and this is is separate from Rabbit Island School, um, the main purpose the foundation serves is to keep that island 
healthy and natural in perpetuity, but also to host uh, artists in residence for several weeks at a time on the island um, that, that apply for that residency um, from all over the world. So I think this year they had uh, over 900 applicants, which was a record for them, that they have to whittle down to only three or four that'll spend several weeks on the island. So that's a really unique aspect about about the island and the arts programs that it sort of cultivates. And so Rabbit Island School is sort of a spin on that that residency program, right? We found a way to make it available for students with a kind of educational twist. As far as the artists from Rabbit Island, does the Portage Lake District Library do anything, maybe exhibit some of their, their art during the rest of the year at all? Yeah, we do. And and maybe that's maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about the different ways the library is involved. So um, one of our main ways that we collaborate with Rabbit Island School is that when the expedition is over for the students, so after they've spent a full week on the island, they spend time at a studio in Calumet where they workshop their art to prepare it for uh, exhibition. And then the library hosts them in the fall for a evening um, art show where they also give a presentation. So this is a public program that their peers their families can attend, but also library users who are interested in the art and the program. For the week associated with the library, what are the ages involved that can get to go out to Rabbit Island? Sure. So for our for our 2021 season, we're able to accept seven local high school students into the program, um, ages 15 to 18. So that's the age range that we work with. Um, and if selected, those students will then spend week on the island with these um, three interdisciplinary artist mentors. Um, and another aspect of the program that the library is involved in is helping to select the student participants. So we have a small committee of library staff that review all the applications um, to, to see who might be a good fit to spend time on the island. And do you allow anybody to return year after year, or is this kind of a case where you get your one week and then you're trying to open it up to a new group the next year? Yeah, good question. We're really hoping we can we can make it available to new students every year. That's our plan going into it. Um, this is only our second year in a row, at least with the library involved in the program. Um, and our hope is we get you know a fresh set of applications so that we can bring this experience to new students. Now, I'm guessing that last year there was no, no program because of COVID. That's right. We had uh, the program sort of being planned and in the works. We ended up having to cancel it for a couple of reasons. Some of them were COVID-related, but we also just didn't have a very big applicant pool, which was also probably uh, COVID-related. So I guess my question would be is if somebody was interested last year in applying and they kind of were at that maximum age threshold, they're now over it, but they never got a chance to do it last year. Are they allowed to apply this year? That's a good question. Unfortunately, they're they're not able to. You know, one thing we have talked about as we hear from parents of, of students of all different ages who, who are really interested in the program, if we didn't get many applicants, we might have an opportunity to open up to those those different age ranges. But we do find that, um, and, and again, this is just part of, the, part of the experience that the Rabbit Island Foundation director has had with past iterations of the program. We find that students in that age range, 15 to 18, seem to be a really sort of perfect fit for um, just establishing a connection with each other, building this small island community for a week. And so we do worry that you know stepping outside of that age range might disrupt that a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
Now, as far as when the students have been selected and they're ready to go over to the island, how are they getting there? And is the library staff kind of involved with that? Or do they kind of wash their hands at this point and say it's up to the rabbit school to kind of take it from there? Sure. So as a as an administrator of the program, the library helps on this front. So um, what we did in the 2019 year was all the students met up at the library uh, early one morning um, and all got into a van to drive out to Rabbit Bay. So I'll probably be the person driving that van this year, uh, making sure the students get shuttled out to Rabbit Bay. And from Rabbit Bay, the students take a boat that the island owns uh, to and from the island. And is library staff going over to the island as well, or do you stay here on the mainland? We stay on the mainland. So in, in our first uh, year collaborating on this program, I was one of the island mentors myself, so I did spend a week with the students out there. Um, ultimately, what we decided would be was that it might be more beneficial for the students to have a third uh, artist mentor rather than um, myself as a program administrator out on the island with the students. So that's what we're doing this year. And I know this is only the second year that the library has been involved, and it would obviously depend on kind of the makeup of the staff, but are you trying for artists with similar mediums, similar tastes, similar abilities, or are you looking to get a wide variety of artists kind of involved with being mentors for the students? Sure. We really like to have the artists come from different backgrounds. So, um, for example, this year we have a artist who's main focus in her career has been um, illustrative work, uh, painting and illustrating. Um, we have another artist mentor who is also doubles as the Rabbit Island Foundation director. His name is Andrew Ranville, who's done a lot of um, uh, sculpture work. Um, and so he brings that uh, element of artistry to the program. And we're still trying to fill our third mentor position right now. But we do like to have that variety just so that students who are interested in different disciplines can, uh, you know, have the support they need to, to explore. And as far as different supplies or um, maybe equipment that students have to take out to the island, uh, do they have to worry about tents or anything like that? So they don't have to worry about tents. Um, we've had some really really great grant funding for this program in the 2019 year and again for this summer that's going to allow us to purchase almost all of the island camping equipment um, for, for the students to use. So we do have an itinerary list for them, you know, personal belongings and clothes, things like that that they might need to bring, but um, tents and sleeping bags and hammocks and sleeping pads, um, the, the program covers all of that. Moving away from the Rabbit Island School for a little bit, I'm assuming that there are other summer programs that the library is going to be involved with. And given the fact that we've had so many disruptions over the last 15, 16 months, particularly for school-age kids, are they going to look a little bit different this year than maybe they have in the past? Yeah, you're, you're spot on there. there. There'll be a lot of differences, but we're excited to be able to bring back some of the um, some of the summer programming that we had to skip over last year. So. Um, you know, for example, we typically do three to four, um, I'm sorry, two to three children's story time events every week. Um, now, since March of 2020, we've been doing those events uh, on Facebook Live. So this summer, we're really hopeful that we can start hosting some of those uh, children's story time events outdoors. Um, so that'll be a big change for us, um, kind of exciting, and, and there's some elements to an outdoor story time that 
that'll make it more fun, I think, than our in-person indoor stuff anyways. But that'll be a big change for us. Um, but otherwise, we're just looking at some other summer reading programming that ties into outdoor activities. So, for example, right now we're working with the Q&O Land Trust to develop a different program every month over the summer that occurs outdoors. So programs that are either going to happen on the Portage Canal here. Um, we're talking about some kayaking and paddling instruction that the library would collaborate with the Land Trust on, um, but also some, some hiking activities, family hiking activities that take place on land that is overseen by the q Land Trust. And I would guess that you have your normal kind of cadre of indoor activities as well. Yeah, we do. We've got um, we've, we've got our summer reading program this year, which you know we'll, folks will be able to register for online, but also in person. So they're welcome to visit the library to sign up for that program, to pick up reading logs, uh, and of course, all of the other library services other than in-person programming uh, is still available. So folks can visit the library all summer to check material out. With the library moving in a lot of ways towards electronic formats, whether it be actual um, um, e-book type, type lending uh, systems or if it's just a case of maybe doing reservations for traditional books through the Internet, do you find that that's bringing a different audience than maybe used to use the library before? Maybe more kids or more younger people are involved with that? You know, I think it probably, it probably is changing the demographic a little bit. It's hard to know because, you know, we don't have demographic information like the age of a patron um, if they're only using online resources, right? We don't, we don't see them in the building. Um, but we certainly have seen a shift over the last uh, year since the onset of the pandemic when it comes to um, increased circulation of our digital materials and less circulation of the print stuff. So I think part of that is just that not everyone is quite ready to return to a public place like the library. Um, some people might have fallen out of that habit uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, but again, the increase in digital circ, um, the percentage at least, is really comparable to what we've seen in a drop in the physical material circulation. Mm -hmm. um, when you're talking online circulation, how involved is the library with that, or is that really done through a third party compared to what you would say as far as your um, ability to decide what books you have you know, physically at the different library branches? That's a really good question, and I hope, I, I hope my answer is not too long-winded. Um, we have several different collections that we make available online through different vendors. Um, our most popular online collection is called Libby, and this is a collection of about 115,000 digital ebooks, um, audiobooks, and even some streaming films. Um, we now have graphic novels in there and magazines. That collection is shared with all of the libraries in the UP. Um, so there's some cost savings there that that we util that we take advantage of by by sharing that collection, and librarians here in the UP get to select the material for that collection. Now, we also have a collection of digital ebooks, audiobooks, streaming films, TV shows, even music albums um, through a collection that's called Hoopla. That collection now has over 850,000 titles. It's much bigger, uh, but it's not as personalized to our community, right? So we don't get to select the content that's in there. 
Getting back to maybe some of the different summer activities, one, we obviously talked about Rabbit Island, but we also talked about hiking and canoeing and kayaking and those different uh, types of outdoor activities. Is there a, kind of a push to involve physical activity, especially when you're talking about younger kids, that that might make them sharper when they go to, quote unquote, hit the books? You know, that hasn't been like a strategic initiative of ours, but I think you're right that that's probably the case. You know, we see, um, as I'm sure you're aware, so much great work uh, that, that the Portage Health Foundation is helping with, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, community health and wellness and, and, and getting physical to stay healthy. We do often collaborate with the foundation on programs that, you know, they see as a benefit to the community because it involves health and wellness. Um, and we like the education aspect of it. So, yeah, there's probably a correlation there. Speaking of the Portage Health Foundation, I was just talking to them last week, and they were discussing their involvement with the Capturing Kids Hearts program up in Calumet and also, I believe, Ontonagon and maybe a couple of other area districts and how they're going to expand that to pretty much the entire region. What do they work with the library on? What types of collaborations do you guys do together? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, we've, we've got several. So right now, a program that we work with the Health Foundation on is a virtual cooking series called Biblio Bistro. This is actually a program that our program coordinator here at the library started um, alongside the Portage Health Foundation staff back in 2019. So these events used to be in person, and they would occur at our local, local farmer's market. Um, and the whole idea is that we're able to share quick and easy recipes with the public, especially people who, who might be new to cooking, um, and utilize uh, produce from our local vendors here at the market. So we've actually had a lot of success with bringing that program online. You know, we, we had to do that due to the pandemic, but as it turns out, we're able to reach a much larger audience. So we're in our second season of that series right now, and we're premiering one video every month. Um, the Health Foundation support has been awesome on that project. The Health Foundation also helped us get a new summer reading initiative off the ground a few years ago that is still in place today, and that's called Market Bucks. So that's something that folks can look forward to in our summer reading program this year as well as as a final prize for completing the program, participants will get a $5 voucher that they can use at our farmer's market. And I know you mentioned Andrew Ranville as far as the Rabbit School goes. He's an artist. He's also a uh, member of the Village Council up in Calumet, and he's also a part of the Keweenaw Community Foundation. And I was just kind of curious about your collaborations with maybe some of the other charitable organizations in the area, maybe some of the different stuff that you do with them as well. Sure, yeah, and, and maybe I can use this as an opportunity to preview a, a program that we'll have upcoming in the late summer and early fall. Um, Andrew Ranville, you know, is someone who, you know, became a library collaborator because of Rabbit Island School. Um, we've worked really well together on that project. Um, and now Andrew will be helping us head up a program in the early summer or fall that we're calling Rad, Rad Academy. Uh, this is a program that we were able to secure funding for from the Portage Health Auxiliary. So we're really excited about it. And it's going to offer skateboard classes at the new concrete skate park in Houghton alongside STEM activities that relate to action sports culture. So things like photography or videography, um, even physics demonstrations that some, some of our volunteers from MTU will be helping with. 
So that's a program that we're collaborating with Andrew on that we're excited about. Um, we've also worked with the QAnon Community Foundation in the past to help fund Rabbit Island School. So in 2019, they made a really significant contribution to, to help make that program possible. When I look at the library, you mentioned that you were trying to do some stuff on the waterfront, even have some classes outside. I also know that the new pier is going to start to be built, hopefully, in the back half of the summer here this year. Are you excited about that project? How much input did you have into kind of what you wanted to make that space be? Sure. Yeah, we are excited about that project down here at the library. Um, you know, I love the idea that there would be a town square-like space uh, that has the library at the center of it. I think in so many ways we're already a hub for engagement in the community. Um, so it does seem like a perfect fit to me that um, they're constructing a placemaking uh, resource around the library. Um, when it comes to input, you know, Eric War has been great about just letting me know every step of the way when things might be happening, uh, whether or not the project might be going forward. We know there were some questions about that right in the last month or so. So, yeah, I've been really happy to be to be um, sort of consulted about that as they go. And you kind of mentioned your collaboration with Eric Wara, who I'm sure you talk to on a regular basis, along with other City of Houghton staff. How about Michigan Tech? Do you do a whole lot of collaboration with them? And um, maybe I'm thinking of uh, different types of summer programs where maybe they have kids involved with um, just kind of learning more about STEM. Yeah, we have, you know, in the summertime, you know, pre-pandemic especially, right, there were so many different collaborations with different departments at Tech that featured you know, anything from poetry workshops to STEM learning activities um, to learning about water resources, right? So there is some of that, you know, that's sort of in the pipeline for this summer. And um, I'll just be honest with you that our program coordinator would, would be able to speak to that better than I could. So I'm sorry I don't have more info right now. No, no, that's perfectly okay. Um, I guess uh, we'll get back to the Rabbit Island School Again, just for more kind of a, a time frame type series of questions, you mentioned that the applications, they need to be in at some point. What exactly is that date? So students will need to submit applications by the end of day, Friday, May 28th. So they've got uh, a few more weeks here. And when it comes to the application requirements, what we're really asking of students is that they submit a one-page uh, letter just about their enthusiasm for conservation, arts and science. Um, and we're also asking them to find a mentor, so maybe a teacher or a boss, that's able to write a letter of support for their participation, sort of detailing why they might be a good fit. And when they go to find this letter, you're probably looking for something, you know, around a page again? That's right, about a page, yeah. And... Um, I'm assuming that there's no charge or anything to, to apply. There's nothing, no fee or anything that goes along with that? Yeah, nothing like that. And so that, that's one element of the program, again, that we were excited about in terms of making it available to, to local students is the past iterations of the island was sort of like a, a paid summer camp where students had to pay to participate. And um, as you might expect with a public library being involved, um, we wanted to make it a free resource for, for students that were eligible. So they submit the application by the 28th of May. When are they hearing back if they're involved with this year's program? 
Yeah, pretty quick turnaround time. Our, our committee hopes to get back to all applicants uh, by Monday, June 7th. So whether that's to let you know that we're honored to provide a scholarship or that you know we had to go in a different direction, um, all applicants will hear from us either way. And how about, are there any requirements at all for, um, say, uh, COVID vaccinations? I know that we're getting down to, and they're talking about expanding the vaccination age eligibility down to 12 years old. Is there anything like that that you would need to be vaccinated, or, or uh, would that be a type of requirement for participation? We don't have any requirements like that in the queue for the student participants. I can tell you our goal is to ensure that all of our um, all of our mentors are, or at least a majority of our mentors are first aid certified. It's a goal we had in 2019 that we were able to meet as well. Um, I think as it turns out, all of our mentors may be vaccinated anyway, but I'm, I'm not quite sure yet. Anything else you want to cover, Dylan, before we wrap this up? Anything I haven't asked about or anything that you think should get mentioned? You know, the only other thing I'll mention since we've talked a bit about summer programming is that we are also really hopeful that we'll be able to return to hosting our longtime summer music series this summer. That's called Music on the Menu. It's typically hosted outside here with a different musician every week, and we encourage participants to bring a bagged lunch. So our location might change this summer um, as the pier construction will be underway soon. Um, but we're excited to announce soon that uh, that program will be coming back, even if it's in a different location. Dylan Geschel, Executive Director of the Portage Lake District Library, thank you for joining me on Copper Country Today. 